Today on the show, we have Pomoda Damika, who is a monk and also a friend of mine, and we have a very interesting discussion. Please continue to support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes and also sharing it with a friend. If you know someone that you think would enjoy the podcast, please share it with them. Help me get the word out. And also, if you're enjoying the podcast, please make a donation. I rely on the generosity from you, the listeners. Typically, I travel around giving workshops and charging a fee for this. Here, I'm providing this content to you for free. All I ask is that you make a contribution, what you feel that you've gotten out of the program. It could be the price of a yoga class or more, whatever you feel comfortable giving, whatever you feel that you've gotten out of the program. Support the podcast with a donation so I can continue to bring you this content. You can go to the storyofmepodcast.com and on the contact page, there's a donate button. And you can also find this link in the episode description. You can also go to the podcast website to submit your questions to be answered on the program. I'd love to hear from you. All right, so now let's get to it. Beautiful am I, bountiful am I, blissful am I, why? Welcome to the story of me with Amarjit Singh. This is where my guests and I share personal stories from our life and explore the psychological insights that were learned from these experiences. Each story will entertain you as well as increase your understanding of your own psychological patterns. Then, through the principles of yoga psychology, you will learn how to overcome the resistance that is holding you back from living a more fulfilling life. Join me every Tuesday for a new episode where I share my experiences in psychological understanding, interview guests, and answer listener questions. Now let's get started with the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding. Welcome to the show. For new listeners, my name is Amarjit Singh, and I'm your host. For old listeners, welcome back. It's good to have everyone again. We have a Long show t- today for you, but an interesting one with a friend of mine who is a monk. And before I get into that, I'd like to talk a little bit about this psychological crisis we're having, and I can see it starting to heat up again. And you can think of it as kind of a, a psychological war. Uh, the the powers that be, the governments and the corporations, are using this psychological warfare to try to push you into a system. And uh, they're trying to do this using this philosophy I've been talking about, the shock doctrine. And so what they want to do is they want to keep you out of balance so they can continue to implement their ideas of how they think you should be managed. And we see this happening again in the Netherlands, where they're saying, okay, there's a spike of COVID cases, but yet, really, the important thing is the deaths are kind of flat. It hasn't peaked. It hasn't gone up. It's just maybe some cases. And 
this is common. It's the flu season, right? We're just beginning the flu season. So, of course, the cases are going to go up for this, and maybe this year the flu will come back because <laughs> last year no one got the flu, right? And I think we're going to start to see other countries start to show their concern for your health again as the infection rate goes up in the winter, which is normal. And this is not going away. This virus is not going away the same as the flu hasn't gone away. And so every winter, it's going to come back, and it seems to be getting weaker and weaker, which is good. But they're still uh, trying to keep you out of balance by saying we need to increase the protection of the citizens. So they're going to enforce the vaccine passport stronger somehow. I don't know how this works. And this will have no effect on the contagious uh, aspects of this virus because, as we all know, people who have been vaccinated still spread the, the virus. So how is this vaccine passport going to have any effect? But what they're trying to do is to push you a little harder into this system. And, uh, yeah, and you're going to see more countries starting to do this, trying to get you out of balance so they can continue this push of this passport that they want you to carry around that will eventually have all your information on it like they do in China. So hopefully my listeners are strong mentally, spiritually, psychologically, and you can see right through this. You know, they're changing the definition of words to fit their narrative, which is quite interesting. Uh, Trying to use language to manipulate you. And the important thing is that you push back. It's good that you understand and see what's happening, but it's just as important that you continue to push back. Because if you just understand what's going on, but you go along with it, they're not going to stop and it's going to go further and further, and you'll see that it's going to keep you locked into a system or, like people like me, locked out of a system. So I encourage you to remove that mask where they tell you to don't show any visa passport or vaccine passport, and uh, encourage other people not to do this, because it's the only way that we can stop this psychological warfare. So enough about that. Let's get to the show. Today, I have a very interesting guest. He's a friend of mine. I met him several years ago in, I believe it was in Nepal. And at the time, he was talking to me about renouncing the householder's life to become a monk. And now, for the last many years, he's done this. His name is Pomoda Damika, and he is a monk in Asia right now. And we have a very interesting conversation that begins with him telling a little bit of his background and the journey to get to be a monk. And uh, it's a long conversation, but stick with it, because in the the middle, he starts to explain some practices that he uses and gives uh, some lessons on how to employ them in your life. And it's quite interesting. And he talks about how he got these and some 
different teachers. And so I have the names and links of the teachers he talked about in the episode description. Uh, Then he explains the life of a Buddhist monk and explains what a day is like for him. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I'm looking forward to having him again on the podcast uh, to talk about some more of his practices. Uh, The sound quality isn't the best on his end. He was outside of, I think, his, his hut in the jungle somewhere. Uh, with a very poor internet and uh, <laughs> and at night where he was. So it was a little difficult, but we pulled it off. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. So sit back and enjoy listening to the conversation I had with Pomoda Tomika. Good to see you, though. Yeah, it's good to good to see you. I, I think uh, the last we, we met in what Nepal in in the Vipassana retreat in in uh, Pokhara, right? This is where we yes, met. Exactly. Yeah. It was a, a beautiful place, and uh, then oh, the, wonderful. Then the, the last time we saw each other, I don't know if we even knew that we were both going to be there. Was the the Vipassana Center in France? We didn't know we were going to be there. We ran into each other again, though, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was a uh, uh, hazard. Yeah. If you can say that. <laughs> yeah, it. it uh, yeah, I remember. You, know, we, we. I was serving at the. I think the second course that I took there when when we were together, and I remember we took a walk through the beautiful countryside where we were, and we were having a, a conversation, and you were talking. I think you were contemplating different paths for you. You were thinking, should I work and, and be a householder or should I be a renunciate? And we were having this conversation. Do you remember this? Yeah, exactly. And uh, also we were discussing about getting into a couple or not and uh, a different perception about the... Uh, yeah, exactly. I remember this. Uh, now that you say me, I, I even see it. Uh, the, the, the open space with uh, the fields around in the in the countryside there. Yeah, it was, it was really beautiful. And so, uh, yeah. so I guess you you wind up making this decision then, right? <laughs> it looks like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've decided to to go the path of the renunciate. And uh, oh. before we get into what this path is, I thought maybe for the listeners we'd start by talking about. Your background a little bit, where you came from, where you grew up, and and what you were doing before this, before we met. Okay, uh, okay, no problem. Um, basically, I grew up in uh, Normandy, in the uh, northwest part of France. Um, I was pretty successful at school, engineering, engineering school, and I I had a, like a, a very successful beginning of um, a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned Chinese. I was working in China, uh, and I was I was basically after well, I I had like three master degree or something like that. Uh, well, in France is different kind of is not all master degree, but you can for the sake of simplification, you can say that. Okay. So one in management, one first in engineering, technical, one in management, and then 
later on, uh, I did something more like environmental. There was the rise of consciousness already. I wanted to do something uh, a bit more beneficial for the planet. And when when you were at this point uh, going through your education and even working in China, when did it come up? When did you start getting into meditation or yoga or or was this something more recent or when you were growing up? Actually, so I did I did um, after my second master degree, I went to China because uh, my master degree required me to do so. And I started directly with a business uh, like managing a small subsidiary. And it was quite interesting job because I had a lot of lot to do and I was newly graduated. I had to recruit people, so I had like a small team under under my responsibility, and I had to develop sales. So it was like almost like a game, you know, like uh, when you you play Monopoly, you know, like you put like uh, you buy houses and like uh, fields and stuff, and it was it was enjoyable. Uh, but I had also a lot of. Uh, of course, a lot of craving, and uh, and I, I could I could clearly, uh, especially afterwards when I actually when I quit my job in China, I started traveling, and then um, I wanted to go back from China to back to France without um, without taking the plane. So I started doing this the whole thing from China to France by land. Okay. And uh, so I started doing like a lot of bus and, and train and uh, it was a wonderful trip, basically. How long did it and take you? I, uh, I, I, I wanted to take uh, one year, so I, it took one year, okay. but uh, it could have, could have lasted much longer. What, was this, when we, was this uh, about when we met the first time or, or the second time? What, what, when? Exactly. This, this was about the uh, yeah. This was 2010. Okay. So I guess if I remember well, that's where we met uh, in Nepal. Okay. Um, I'm not pretty sure because no, that's not no. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, we met much later when I came back to Nepal. It was 2016 or something like that. Okay. But in 2010, I did my first uh, meditation course, which was like a Goenka retreat. And where where did you do this the first one? I did I did that in Burma in okay. the in the land of of uh, of Goenka. All right, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was that was wonderful. Like I mean, there was only me and another foreigner in the retreat, and uh, I came I came out of the retreat uh, just with so much insight and not wanting to speak because I I really realized that speaking was was just uh, superficial and uh, and I really had like few days where I I barely wanted to speak and of course after that like things come back and you 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 come back into a normal normal life again but that was that was really powerful it was was I, was, was this the the first uh, introduction you had to any type of meditation or had you been meditating before uh, or doing any other type of introspection uh, not really. Actually, I started getting interested in Buddhism when I was a kid. Uh, I mean, when I was 16 or 17 or something like this, because my auntie was reading some Buddhism book. And when I was also studying about Tibet, uh, but just I started, I, I, I think I did a, one meditation in my room when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, it was, uh, I think, Zen Buddhism or something like that. And I was really impressed by, I had really already like uh, some things that I, I felt very interested in. 
but I, I somehow I didn't I didn't persevere. When when I did this uh, this first retreat, uh, after that, uh, I quit like uh, all my sins, like all mm-hmm. my no, I don't know if you can say sins, but all my basically my addictions uh, got got a lot, lot less. So I I was a bit into alcohol, like I mean, like young people who like to party, but maybe a little bit like a little bit more than average, and smoking a lot, like uh, in being in China, like a, a kind of successful businessman, having also success with uh, with women and uh, women and stuff. And I mean, that was kind of this life like this. And after this retreat, all this went just a, a big step down, like. I stopped. Uh, I stopped. Uh, I stopped smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, drinking reduced a lot, and uh, womanizing also reduced a lot. And uh, yeah, so after after that, I I just went back to to France, and I that's where I took up uh, some studies again to do some environmental studies. But then I realized that uh, also this is not uh, this is a lot, lot of suffering as well in in the in the NGO and all this environmental uh, environment because people are not driven by money, but they are driven by the ego. Like the researchers say they want to be, they want fame, basically. They want to publish articles and, you know. um, And so also I realized something that I wanted to, I reorientated my, my, I I, I took a a degree in... um, in forestry, basically, it was a, at the political level, kind of like it was a postmaster degree, so kind of like a research thing. And uh, I realized that what I wanted is wanting to be in contact with nature, wanting to be outside. And what I, what I was doing with this degree was like being in the office again in front of a computer. Uh, the only change was like the subject I was working for was forest and things, but still my environment was still an office and a computer. I didn't really want that. I, uh, just so I got got worried of it, and then I I started doing more and more meditation, and then I I dedicated few years uh, in the Goenka tradition. I I traveled a lot uh, in India, Nepal. I think that's where I met you. Yes. Uh, uh, after 2016 or 17, mm-hmm. I, I also in 17 uh, during this last job that I had, also my my last girlfriend. Uh, there was also like a kind of realization because uh, uh, that was a very nice, very nice girl. I couldn't really expect better. And she was uh, beautiful. We were getting along very well. Everything was going well. But still, I realized that uh, I, I'm not happy. Basically, when I'm not with her, I want to be with her. When I'm with her, I want to be without her. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because there's always some kind of conflict, uh, even a little one, I, I couldn't find peace, really. So, that's where I decided to... Uh, Quit the job, quit the girlfriend, quit everything, dedicate to uh, meditation, go to Nepal, India. And then, um, yeah, then I I got really much into meditation. But uh, uh, I think in the meantime, I also started 
um ah yeah that's where it started uh, i started uh, living without money yeah th- th- wasn't the there like, w- i'm sorry wasn't there some article written about you with this experience right yes yes exactly yes actually there, there's, there have been uh, an article uh, mm-hmm. i think it's in french mm-hmm. uh, there have been a uh, few articles and uh, also like an interview when i was in belgium uh, just before i came here for before i, I became a monk I was doing a, yeah, a project, and uh, there was a, a Belgium TV who interviewed me. So the, yeah, there is this uh, this uh, article. It's called uh, uh, in French. It's called uh, "L'homme uh, l'homme qui vivait sans argent," mm-hmm. and in, in English it means like the man who was living without money. And what was this experience like for you? That was amazing. Like uh, it started in I think 2016. I was just with friends. Uh, in Brittany, and basically, um, I was already starting feeling uh, that our lives were our lives were a bit different, and uh, but still, I was having a good time. And uh, I realized two two things. Like one is like I cannot. Um, there's there's two solutions. Either I found a job, I find a job, and I can keep um, I can keep uh, spending money, or I just stop spending money and therefore I don't need to find a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so then, and then my friend said something like I, all my life I've been driven by challenges. So my friend say something like, Oh, if you, if you can live without money, that's really a big challenge. And so on the next day I said, uh, I said, okay, I'm now I'm gonna, I'm gonna start living without money. So my friend went to a kind of a museum or something like this, and I remember I stayed outside and I just meditated and I said, "Okay, that's the beginning. Now I'm, I'm not involving into any kind of things that uh, necessitate money." And it was already driven by one trip I did uh, barefoot on in Normandy on the beach, walking, and uh, one evening I, I went through a, a small shop that was selling uh, French crepes. And uh, f- uh, French fries or something, and the whole day I've been uh, I've been eating only like you know plants and stuff, green plants. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> and so I look at my pocket and I had like maybe a few euros left. So I went there and uh, I just uh, I bought uh, wanted to buy a crepe, and then uh, it was closing because it was evening. So I said, "What do you do with the rest of those those crepes that you're having here?" And he says, "I don't know." And so I ate my crepe, and then he came a few minutes later and offered me like one more and another one because I was explaining what I was doing this trip without money, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was the beginning that gave me some ideas that I can live with uh, uh, just by inspiring people and uh, people will uh, be generous with me, and uh, and that's what happened afterwards. I I started just walking. And uh, and asking people for for food uh, whenever I needed it. So and what was I the like this in France? And what was the most difficult? Sorry? What was the most difficult aspect of, of living without money for you? Um, the first thing that come into my mind is uh, the quality of food that uh, that would not be always suitable because uh, yeah I. Depending on the country, but in France, for example, I would rely on bakeries a lot, mm-hmm. and 
and so a lot of bread and bread uh, with uh, like you know is gluten and things so it started being uh, I mean it was not really very irregular sometimes I would have a wonderful meal in a restaurant mm-hmm. some somebody would just invite me uh, for a wonderful meal and uh, next day I would just eat bread with uh, green leaves inside or something which was which was very fine actually I was that was very nice, but I, I was just, I'm, I'm just wondering if this could have lasted for years. Um, I realized something is like when you enjoy and when, because I was having so much joy every day, this was kind of secondary. And the fact that I was very joyful, I could really handle this food, um, which could be a problem if you, I, I was doing a lot of activity as well because I was walking a lot. So that's probably why I was not troubled so much. But it's maybe more the mind thinking that it couldn't, it would be a problem in the long run. And, and that's uh, one difficulty. And, and what about okay? Yes. Yeah. And and what about uh, places to sleep? Were you sleeping outdoors, or did you find places to sleep? That was uh, a mix, basically. When I felt like not talking, I would just sleep in the bank of the river, reading. One day I was walking, it was in England, I was walking along the Thames and I was reading this book about uh, of uh, Siddhartha from Hermann Hesse. Mm-hmm. And I had this, this uh, amazing experience, like I was reading the book and uh, like the kind of same thing was happening to me. Uh, the book was talking about the bird and uh, like because he was like a bird being in a cage or something. And then I was eating some fries that somebody came and just offered to me as I was sitting next to the river and then a bird came to have some of my fries. So I was like, oh, that's, I'm, I'm really living the, I really felt that I was living the character. That was, <laughs> that was amazing. And um, so basically sometimes I was, I was sleeping on the bank of the river. Sometimes I would ask, um, especially like some hotels or something, uh, if they could just offer me a night. Uh, sometime I would uh, sleep at people's place. Uh, they would see me in the evening, and they, I would ask if I can if I can sleep. Or they, sometimes they would propose. I would sometimes sleep at friends' place as well. Uh, that was kind of a, a mixture. I sometimes had my tent, but after a while I really questioned because I I wanted to trust, mm-hmm. and I wanted to I didn't want to carry. <laughs> it was a bit heavy. Uh, having a, a two kilo tent, my my backpack ended being like something like five kilo, or something in the end. Yeah, so, so so very was, little, uh, quite light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really enjoyable because when you walk a lot, uh, I mean, I, I every day you're having your backpack, and yeah, I, I kind of uh, enjoyed having uh, something very light. And you you walked uh, to different countries, or you stayed just in France? No, I I started uh, I started doing it in France. Oh, I, I some some memory coming to my mind. I I met uh, uh, one guy when I started the uh, when I started the um, the trip uh, uh, in Brittany. Mm-hmm. I I came to a city and uh, there was a kind of a supermarket there, and uh, I met this uh, the cashier and I said I, I'd like to meet the boss if it's possible. Uh, so he said, she said, like, wait a minute, he's not here, come back later. So I came later. And then um, 
that was that was like the first few times that I was I was uh, gleaning. Uh, I don't know if you can say that, but I was asking for food. So and and the the responsible of the shop, uh, I went to him, and he said, "Oh, it's it's you! Oh, come, come!" So he was expecting me already to come back, uh, and he was really interested. And he asked me a lot of questions, and he said, "Oh, I have a friend. He's going to Japan, and he's like." He's doing a, like also an adventure like this. He's, he's taking He has a sponsor, and his trip is to go from uh, Zen master to Zen master and something. So he was so enthusiastic about my experience, and he gave me a lot of courage. And he said, "Come with me." And and we went down to the supermarket, and he gave me like a big bag, a big bag. And we went through the, the shop basically, and he put a lot of things in my bag, and a lot of fruits and dry fruits. And uh, I was barely, I could barely carry the bag basically when I went out. And uh, and then I I made the determination to not accept more food that I can eat basically. So uh, uh, that was very nice experience. It was made made me grow. And the the, the uh, a few years later, I called back this this person. And I, he was he was almost crying on the phone because I, I really thank him uh, for being uh, so generous and for being a source of inspiration that could uh, help me for the rest of my journey afterwards. And the guy was facing a bit of difficulties afterwards. So uh, at this time when I called him, so he was like, "Oh, you're so you're such a good person," and uh, he was uh, so grateful that I called him. So I was I was. Uh, that was quite nice. So uh, just to answer your question, I, I went walking. I started from Brittany. I went to uh, along the Loire, uh, the river in France, and I went south of France, and and then I went uh, into Switzerland. Yeah, the, the goal was to go to Switzerland to uh, to Vipassana Center, and then I went up and went to England for another Vipassana course, but a longer one. I did after after that I did long courses and uh, when I started doing long courses everything was every time that I was coming out of the course something was dramatically changing in my life like there would be something I would drop something uh, so uh, for example I would I don't know uh, would drop uh, uh, Drop the money completely, or drop uh, drop the wish to to have a girlfriend, or drop the wish to have a job, or like something was like at the end of the course, it was something changing. And um, uh, how, how did it happen? Then afterwards, I I kind of uh, so I went uh, I went to Burma, and uh, I discovered another kind of meditation, well, also vipassana, but uh, more like open awareness mm-hmm. with Sayadaw uh, Utejaniya. And, uh, and uh, which style? Was, which, which style is this? Uh, what What is different between the, the the Gwenka vipassana and the the new style that you adopted? Okay, that's a very interesting question. Uh, basically. Goenka tradition, you focus on the bodily sensations mm-hmm. and you have the, the awareness the awareness of uh, impermanence. And uh, with that, you you watch the sensation without uh, generating any craving or aversion because you know that those sensations are, are just impermanent. Uh, 
So by reinforcing this perception of impermanence, you develop equanimity towards all bodily sensations, either pleasant or unpleasant. And with that, you kind of uh, transcend the, the, the field of, of uh, sensations and uh, you still, you, you, you're not attaching to your, your sensations uh, of the body, basically. And, and just for, for some of our listeners who, who don't practice Vipassana, so what these sensations are, they're the manifestations of your psychology, right? They're the, the manifestations of your attachments or your addictions or your aversions. And by not reacting to them, you let go of these attachments. Um, yeah, so exactly as you said, um, so in the, in the Goenka tradition, the, this, uh, this Sankara term is defined as a, as a um, mental reaction, usually unconscious, that uh, come up, um, comes up uh, by the work, because of the work that you're doing, there is some unconscious patterns that are coming up, that because of them, you will generate either uh, craving on, or aversion, and by re-educating the mind, of uh, like re-educating the mind to to deal with these painful sensations with equanimity, and to deal with pleasant sensation with also with equanimity. Basically, what you are training to do in the when you're sitting, when in the normal life you will also encounter unpleasant and uh, pleasant sensations. You will also react with uh, calm, basically equanimity. So it's this way you're not subject <clears throat> to the external environment is not driving, is not controlling your own happiness anymore. You become more uh, more introvert, but a more stable and uh, a more, let's say, peaceful uh, person. Basically. Yeah, and you're you're letting go of your habit patterns, and so for those of you who don't know, when you're doing this vipassana, you're you're focusing on these sensations. So the subtle awareness of them is getting very intense, and so some of these sensations are really intense. I mean, really intense pain or or whatever it is. But in the daily life, many of these sensations are unconscious, but you're reacting to them. And this is what forms your your habit patterns. And so, how does this uh, differ from the other uh, technique? Okay, so basically, the Saido um, Utejaniya approach. Uh, it's, um, I mean, for me, uh, when you practice a lot, everything is interconnected. So. Basically, when you practice Goenka, you will also have some moments where your mind is going to... You cannot prevent your mind from, from thinking and from uh, uh, having an interpretation of what is happening. But the Tejaniya's method, you're focusing a lot more on wisdom. So first of all, your object of meditation is not only bodily sensation, but it's open to the six senses. Um, so basically, you you you. It's called open awareness. So you open your perception towards everything that is coming. So when you see, you become aware that you're seeing. When you hear, you become aware that you're hearing. And all those. Uh, so when you smell, you're aware that you're smelling. When you touch, you're aware that you're touching. 
And all this becomes your object of meditation. So you're not really focusing. You're not trying to focus on the breath or focus on the sensations. So you're not, you're not forcing your mind, basically. It's a much more like a step back and relax. And everything that is coming, you take it as uh, not being you, not being yourself, being nature, basically. This I'm, I'm not 100% sure what are the words of Serdu Dejanir because it's quite a long time ago. And I, I kind of, I still practice uh, open awareness, but I don't know which words he uses. But the principle is this, is like you have the six senses, you, you're aware of, of those, and then you see them, you see that as being uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta, means impermanent, suffering, and, uh, uh, and not self, which are the three characteristics of the Buddha's teaching. Um, so, uh, I think, uh, is, it, is it approximately clear, the difference? Yeah, so you're you're basically you're still in the meditative pose. And you're sitting down, but you're not focusing on the the different parts of the body to search for sensations. You're just kind of allowing whatever comes up to come up, and so you're basically just trying to be present in the moment. Is this is this the, I mean the the simplification of it? But is this basically what is happening? Yes, and and the thing is, uh, what I forget to mention um, is. Um, so by being present, you also observe the reality as it is. So you, you have a much more, um, the, the, the investigation part in the Utejaniya's technique is much more, uh, emphasized, uh, as in the Goenka tradition. Goenka tradition, you see, you see the experience and you see, you, f- you have the perception of Anicca. Mm-hmm. And, uh, sometimes the danger is also almost to, to sometimes that it becomes a mantra. Uh, but in, in the Saido Utejaniya's method, you're really encouraged to, to see whatever is happening in the sense doors. And you see also like all the, the, the defilements that is coming with all those senses. So, for example, you see a form, you see like a, you see a, uh, something you like, and suddenly the mind starts say, oh, I want this all the time, I want this forever, I want... Uh, so you see a woman, I say, oh, this woman so beautiful, I want to be with this woman all the time. Or, oh, this guy is doing something you don't like, so this guy shouldn't, like, for example, you're queuing uh, in order to get your meal, and there's one guy who steps in front of you, so you start saying, oh, this guy shouldn't do this. So you basically, you relate, you, you, you're just stepping back and being there and trying to understand what is happening. And you're trying to make the link between all your what is happening at your senses, uh, on your senses door, doors, and the reaction that you that that is happening there, and how how your mind is behaving afterwards with um, with uh, how how your mind is reacting uh, towards the the reality that is happening. And, and you're just observing this. You're not. You're not doing anything but observing this. Then, right? You're observing, but you're also trying to make an investigation to understand all uh, all this. How, how how is it happening? Okay. So there's this uh, this uh, one of the one of the factor of enlightenment, which is uh, investigation, which is very very present, uh, and uh, so. I think one difference as well is like in the Goenka tradition, uh, it is kind of uh, believed that 
the equanimity is what uh, is bringing you towards enlightenment. And Sayadu Tejaniya says that it's wisdom that is uh, bring, bringing you towards enlightenment. There's a subtle difference here. But uh, um, in the Goenka tradition, you, you, you try to develop equanimity towards anything that is coming. And in the Sayadu Tejaniya technique, you, you're really trying to understand things. Uh, so there's really like an effort to to understand the reality as it is. Okay, and so so you're trying to understand the the the, the why the things are happening, and this you're doing through your daily life, right? Or you're doing this only during meditation, or you're doing this both? No, this is uh, this is something that is really really much uh, practice practicable um, in in your daily life. Uh, because it, it doesn't really necessitate. Of course, it's much more. It's more powerful if you have a bit of uh, of concentration. Of uh, if your mind is settled, uh, basically, it's gonna be. You're gonna see the the things much more quickly, uh, much more clearly. But uh, this is definitely one something a practice that you can uh, really do in the daily life. And and so when. And if you compare this, I guess, to the Gwenka tradition, when you become an advanced practitioner, you also observe the sensations during the daily life and try not to react to them. But you're just the subtle difference is not trying to understand them, but just not reacting to them. Correct? Uh, we can say that. I think it's. Uh, I mean, it's a simplification, uh, but but basically, I, I, yeah. I mean, all what I'm saying is is true, and at the same time, is not true. I I, I feel a bit uncomfortable saying that uh, this is like this and this is like that because, um, as I said first, everything is uh, uh, is uh, inter like is just like the difference between the teachers is just the emphasis where where they put the emphasis. Okay. Because Goenkaji also says. He also says sometimes to dissect, disintegrate, and some, sometimes when there is a sensation, you just go uh, and you just like part by part, you go come close and you say, okay, here it's a pain, here is not pain. And you, I remember also in my Goenka course, really having an understanding of of what is a sensation and, and just having it basically uh, uh, seeing it dissolving uh, when you when you uh, when you practicing. So um, I mean. It's um, what I want to say. It's uh, the basic principle is there, but uh, it's not. Um, it, it is true, and it's also not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the duality of it. Well, in, in my experience doing doing the Guenka uh, tradition, especially in the long courses, or, or, or yeah, in the long courses, or when I got a little more advanced, is that when I would encounter these sensations and dissect them, the Energy behind it would come up to my mind, meaning the the habit patterns that cause them or the the experiences that cause them. In fact, when I was doing my long my longest retreat, I really hit upon some some aspects of it where I was hitting these sensations, and then the memories of everything that caused these sensations would come up, and this was quite yes. intense. Yes, I think the the one of the major difference between those two. Uh, is that uh, in the in the open awareness you're much more uh, looking at the mind. Mm -hmm. uh, the object of meditation is 
uh, you you get you get anchored at the senses, the five senses. Uh, so hearing, smelling, seeing, and all, all all those you get anchored with them because they bring you back to the re- uh, present moment. And uh, once you settle, you look at the mind. So when you look at the mind, you look at what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and and you especially you look at oh, I'm I'm having this thought, I'm having this this uh, aversion, and why uh, I like. I want to make a bit of a, a transition here because I, I now I'm, I'm following a, a teaching which is also uh, very uh, that uh, said Utejania advice as well, which is uh, the teaching of Byron Katie, uh, the work basically, um, and it's it's really much like basically you have this awareness of uh, uh, of your mind and you start questioning it. So this is. Uh, um when when i was practicing uh, goenka uh, meditation i could really uh, settle my mind mm-hmm. and with the practice of uh, the work of byron katie i could really see uh, having settled my mind i could really see at the at the content of my mind and saying okay now um i wh- why am i suffering i, I am suffering right now because because of my thought, basically, and um, it is because you believe what you're thinking, so that you you're, you're you're suffering, basically. So if you question it, uh, you start having a bit of distance with it, and uh, and then you stop your suffering. Basically, you the, the suffering is 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 just optional. Is just because you believe what you're thinking, basically. So when, when the first step is, of course, to be aware that you're thinking, and uh, and what what are the content of your thought, what you're thinking right now, and to put this on paper. And because you put this on paper, you 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 kind of take it out from your mind to to the external environment. Mm-hmm. So it's very useful because this you you kind of you can work on it afterwards. As if it stay in your mind, it's always like kind of like uh, misty and it's not really concrete. You can't really work on it. So when you put it on paper, you question it. Yeah, there is four. There are four questions. You first ask: Is it true? Is it true what I'm what I'm what I'm thinking right now? Like for example, this person shouldn't do this. Is it true? Do I really know what this person should do or should not? Do I really know? Uh, if this the intention of this person, do I really know what it is? Like, do I really know why this person is doing this? Or like so many, so many things I think I know most of the time, but most of the time I don't know. So when I realize that it may be true, maybe not true, then I can go ahead and I can take distance with those thoughts. So first question, is it true? Second question, is it really true? So this really inv- encourages you to uh, to really uh, take a moment and step back and say, okay, because uh, most of them, maybe you will say, yes, it's true. And when you ask some, for example, if you ask somebody, uh, is it true what you're saying? The person will say like, oh, yes. Is it really true? It makes a difference, right? You mm-hmm. you you give it a second thought. You're just like, okay. Uh, this person is asking like a bit insistent in asking, is it really true? Maybe Maybe it's something not true there. So you, it does make a big difference if you ask twice, is it true, is it really true? 
and then you put yourself into into this uh, um okay i'm thinking this now how how does it make me feel i'm thinking oh this person shouldn't do that am i am i making myself happy thinking that or am i making myself uh, suffering because the person is already doing it so by having the thought he shouldn't do it is just basically uh re- resisting to what is already happening so you, you make yourself miserable so when you realize uh, how, how am i feeling when i have this thought you realize that you you the source of your suffering is not is not what is happening it's just your thought about what is happening so this might sound a bit like uh uh might even make people angry because they think like okay like uh i'm having so much pain and thing i can't i can't uh, like people will have a lot of um of stories and 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 and, and think about that but uh, i really encourage to to test and not to not to accept what i'm what i'm saying but just to 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 to, to do the experience one uh, by oneself and so so basically when you do that after you drop the thought and then you realize that uh, if you drop the thought uh I don't know if you, if I should say more or if I should let people experience the thing basically. Well yeah, c- continue so they have this idea right did you get to the the fourth question? Yeah, so the the fourth question basically is um uh is when I drop the thought how do I feel? So you you realize that this this thought this thought about okay this person shouldn't be doing that. Um you realize this thought this uh, this thought is making you suffer and when you drop the thought so basically you ask yourself who would i be so there's a bit of inquiry here which is also very interesting who would i be if i would drop this story that is in my mind now i'm thinking oh this person shouldn't be doing that so if i drop the thought this person should shouldn't be doing that what happened in me so you basically taking out all your judgment that you're having, for example, you, you're talking to someone and then this, this person start uh, making racial, uh, racist comments and stuff. And then your mind is starting getting so angry or oh, this person shouldn't be saying that and this and that. So you miss completely what the person is saying. You're just rolling in anger and, and basically you, you miss completely what is uh, alive in the, in the person you're listening to. Mm-hmm. So I like to <laughs> I have so much to say. Uh, I like to couple this this uh, practice of the work with the practice of uh, NVC nonviolent communication, where you basically you you get interested in the feeling and needs of the mm. person at that moment. Right. So ba- basically, if you if you if you drop the thought this person shouldn't be doing that or this person shouldn't be sw- saying that, then you're fully present mm. with what the person is saying. And then for the first time, you may be listening really much, really, to to the person. You may be really seeing the person as as she is. And instead of saying the racist in front of you, you will see maybe people, uh, somebody who who value uh, equality or who value uh, 
uh, I don't know. It can be any any kind of need, but you, you definitely see the humanity behind behind the person, and then and then you can just develop your understanding, and and basically uh, afterwards what you do, which is like uh, uh, even more interested interesting. Well, the whole process is is this. I'm just uh, very passionate about it. So uh, what you do, you turn it around. So when you say this person is so racist, you turn it around and you say, okay, you have like, I think three turn around. Um, it's a different kind of turnaround. Basically you turn it to yourself, then you turn it to the other, and then you turn it to the contrary. So an example, like if, if you say this person is so racist, you're first saying, I'm very racist. Uh, and then you, you, you find examples with that. So when, have I, uh, am, am I sometimes a bit racist as well? Uh, so you start questioning yourself and you find examples where in the past you have been a bit racist as well. So uh, by doing that, or when you say this person shouldn't be doing this, maybe you have done it as well. This person should, shouldn't be mean to me. Maybe you have been mean to her already uh, in the past and you don't, you don't even remember. So by doing that, you, you, you bring a bit of distance there and a bit of humility because you realize that you're also doing the same as this person and therefore you, you, you kind of uh, accept a lot more what this person is doing. And another kind of turnaround is like, uh, well, this example is not... Uh, um, basically, you say, uh, this person is not racist. And so... Um, you also find some examples why sometimes she's she's like doing some she, she she may be not even meaning what she says like for example my dad is is uh, uh, since I do the work and and NBC I I start I start enjoying listening to my my dad when he's being racist because I just love it like he I see so much humanity there uh, he is just like wanting some equality uh, some uh, Justice. Sometimes he just want to be uh, provocating, or just he doesn't really believe what he says. Or um, it, it's just so rich. Like it, you, first you don't roll in anger, and first you discover uh, the person that is in front of you. So it, it is just like something very, uh, very interesting. Yeah, I, I I like this uh, form of in, inquiry. I, I think these four questions are really good. I mean, this is a really interesting way to look at these different situations to enlighten yourself of your attachment to them or, or your reaction to them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's. And so, it, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I just uh, I just wanted to say that I I discovered this when I started being a. Uh, a monk, or at least when I started uh, being in contact with my uh, Upajaya, which is in Malaysia. Uh, so um, I, I wanted to move to, to I don't know if I uh, should move to something else, or maybe I should let you, let no, you say what you wanted to say. No, I mean, I, I think, that, you know, this is really the process of letting go of these false identifications, right? These These thoughts of who you think you are are really preventing you from being who you are, right? They're, they're yeah. forming these limits on you. And by using these questions, it's really showing you that these are just thoughts. These are just ideas of who you think you are that are creating your experience. 
exactly. Yeah, it, it's really identifying with your mind, and I, I like very much as well the teaching of uh, of Eckhartolle. Uh, Cartole and uh, it's really much like for me Byron Katie is a tool to a concrete tool to to put into practice what uh, what Eckhart Tolle is saying when he's saying that you you should observe uh, observe your mind and and see that basically you observe your thought pattern and you see that this doesn't really make sense and and then when you realize that that your mind is uh, not really makes sense you 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 be you just be the presence that is that is behind it and uh, i mean you start with the cartole you start being the presence so that you can observe those thoughts but uh, the magic with the work um, of byron katie is something very nice there is like we westerners i mean uh, not not only westerners but especially westerners i would say we are so used to put the fault on on, on others so we say oh if I'm feeling unhappy, of course it's not my fault. It's the fault of of he or her. Mm-hmm. So you start by doing that and putting that on paper. So I hate him because I feel anger because he did that. I did that. So you're so used to do this. So very natural. Very naturally, you do something that you used to do, and so you put those on paper. And then once you wrote the whole page, uh, just your neighbor, just your neighbor worksheet that is. Available on, on the website of Baron Katie, the work.com. What's, uh, what's the website? Can you give this again for the listeners? Uh, it's it's the work.com. The work.com. Yes. Okay. And, um, and uh, basically, all the content to do the work is, uh, is for free. Mm-hmm. So you can download uh, uh, a document that is called uh, Judge Your Neighbor Worksheet. Mm hmm. And uh, and when you do that, uh, well, Byron Kitty, she advised you to start with with uh, your neighbor, like with your the people that uh, that are around you, because it's much more easy to uh, to criticize people around. Yeah, like your partner, uh, or your relatives, or your family members, or the, the your coworkers. This type of of situation. Yeah. Hmm. And once you did that, once you put this on paper, then you start working with it. So you, the work is really like a meditation. You, there, there may be a, a, a huge difference for me, like uh, because I'm a monk, so I have a lot of time for uh, introspection and uh, and meditation. So what I usually do, either I do it in the morning. Uh, I usually try to do every 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 morning, but I I I don't always have neg- negativity in my mind. So uh, basically, I. I do it when when thought arises uh, that are linked to some negativity. Like if I feel a bit of uh, depression or suffering of any kind, I will start to investigate what is my thought and then I put it on paper. But the thing is, the clearer is your mind, the more the more uh, the more settled is your mind, the more clearer you will uh, you will have uh, an experience of. Uh, of insight, basically, because this work you can really do with only the men- the mental level, only by reasoning. Okay, you say okay, this person shouldn't do this, and and kind of mechanically. But when you, what you have to do is you have to ask your question to your mind, but you let your you let your heart answer. 
is you pose basically you ask you you ask the question and that you you let you let the you let your heart answer uh, so you really have to be present if not if you do it as a ment- mental level or mechanical level or reasoning level it will have it may have an impact but it will have a superficial impact uh, so i think that's why i have a friend is is saying that the work is not really working for him and uh, because he doesn't really change in the in the deep deeper level um first it, it is something that you have to to do again and again and again it, it is a practice basically i said i, I do it daily uh, i couple it of course with uh, some meditation but um sometimes the same thing is coming back but it means that it's, it's still there and is i haven't i haven't worked with it properly one once i know that the the I have questioned properly my mind about about something. Uh, usually, it's not coming back, or at least it's not coming back in the next days. Uh, it is it, coming back much much later in a, some some other occasion. So it's really like uh, untying the knots, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's really interesting. And so, what you're you're talking about when you say you then you know think about this or not really think about this, but you go to the heart. What you're talking about is, is really when you're referring to the heart is acceptance, right? Is is this acceptance and also maybe finding this neutral space? Uh, yeah, um, uh, this this sense of beingness, this this uh, this sense of being present. Uh, basically, what uh, what Eckhart Tolle is is talking a lot about uh, is uh, this yeah being being. Being not in your mind. Actually, when most of the time our minds are thinking about many, many, like having many thoughts, and it's reasoning is taking place. So logic. Uh, the logic is is something that you have learned through your education, background, everything, and is uh, is something that is happening. Is very uh, prominent in in the Western culture, especially, uh, and especially in men. Uh, basically, the, we are lost in, in our head, uh, just thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I say the heart, it has so many names. I I don't I don't know which one using, but it's being, it's presence, awareness, sati in a, in a, in the Buddhist, the Theravadan Buddhist tradition. Um, so when you have this uh, this presence, then you're taking a bit of distance with with the thinking mind, and you you have a moment of of non-thinking, and this is where the creativity is coming from. Right. So this is in this space. Basically, it's also called space, which is a very nice word that I uh, like very much. In this space, which is beyond the mind, which is able to watch the mind, even in that space, then uh, can arise uh, uh, an answer to your question that it will be much more insightful than the the thinking mind. Uh, the thinking can also gives good answer, which is anyway it's good to to put your shoes in the when you do the turnaround, you put your shoes. You put in, you put yourself in the shoes of the other. So basically, you enlarge your your spectrum of uh, opinions. 
So you, it, it also really good. It is, uh, uh, it is good, uh, uh, um, basically it's, it's, it's good already. What I'm saying is like, if you can bring the more present you can bring to that, the more impactful it will be on your practice. So, so I mean, just a very oversimplification of the of the process would be to really analyze the mind, see the reaction of the mind, and then after you accumulate all this information, is to digest it in the heart. You can say something like that. Um, I mean, it's an oversimplification, but uh, even even more simpler, I would say, you look at your thought and uh, you ask, "Is it true?" And then you you realize it's not true, and you just uh, turn it to yourself. And mm. uh, but, but this with with presence. Yeah, very interesting. I, I like this approach. I mean, I, I think it, it has many aspects of different approaches put together. I mean, you can look at this. I like how you took the nonviolent communication to look at the person's needs. And in fact, I, I did an interview on one of the episodes of a. A teacher of nonviolent communication. So I really enjoy being able to incorporate that into all these ways of, of looking at yourself or looking at the other. Oh, that's, that's a topic as well. Yeah. And uh, Marshall, Marshall Rosenberg says, because I, I, have, I have tried to mix both of them, and, uh, and sometimes people don't like to, when you, when you try to do the work with somebody who's not really willing to, he uh, NVC will work much more, much better. Yeah. So NVC is is just nice. If you want to have many friends, you you just practice NVC because <laughs> you practice empathy. You listen yeah. listen to people, and people will love you for that because today nowadays nobody nobody really listens. Uh, people are just wanting they are on their position. They want right. And NVC, what you do, you start just being in the sh- being interested. In what the person is going through right exactly. now, what is living, what what is the is going on in the person. So once you do that, the person, the person, they will, she will feel he or she will feel very important because she will feel that you're interested. So how do you respond when somebody is interested? In you what you're going through? Of course, you feel like uh, friendly, sympathy, and you start to open. Yeah, I, I think the like you said the, the communications. And, uh, what I wanted to say is, Marcel Rosenberg says, say, uh, "Sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead, finish what you're saying. I'll get to it." Um, um, I just want to share my experience of mixing both of both the technique and VC and, and the work. Great. Uh, I like very much when when Marcel Rosenberg says, uh, "Connect before correct." So if you if you start practicing the work, you will say. Is it true what you're saying? Is it true? But the person will get annoyed if you say that. So what you have to do is you, you first practice NVC, so you connect. And then you take time. You, you listen to the person. You be with the person. And, uh, and you, you, you notice what the feeling and needs are there. And when you find a, a crack, so when, you, when the person is, is really, when there is a thought there, that you really realize that this person, this thought is the cause of the suffering of the person then only when you have established connection then only you can try to say well uh, you so you're thinking that this person shouldn't be doing that uh, do you think it's true 
and something like that. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, an, I'm still uh, uh, fine tuning. I, I, I try to to be always better at it, but mm-hmm. it's, it's something like this I would do. Like you connect first, and then you 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 try because the work is um, when Byron Kitty does it. Uh, she does it with people who are who have filled the worksheet already. They are really willing to to listen to her. And when somebody comes and have have troubles, uh, it's not she she person doesn't want to get advice. Basically, she she just want to be listened. And when you do the work, you you're doing a bit of advice. So you you have to really make sure. Uh, uh, that you do it when when the connection has been established. Yeah, I think this is what's really missing in this uh, environment in our culture these days is no one's listening. You know, people are just oh, waiting yeah. to talk or they're just, they have their idea and they're just going to say it and they don't really take in to account what the person is, is saying or what their needs are. Not definitely. There is something that is coming my mind uh, also that I want to maybe I want to mention briefly. Okay, uh, it's another practice uh, that is also connected to to this. It's a mix between. Uh, it's called inside dialogue, um, and it's uh, has been invented by uh, called uh, Gregor, Gregory Kramer, and it's very interesting because you basically you do meditation, but you do it. Uh, with two people. So uh, to give you a simple example so that everybody understands, uh, when you do, for example, meditation on the bodily sensation, uh, one person will speak first and the person in, fa- uh, in front will just listen and after you turn. But you will say, for example, okay, now I feel like vibration in my hands. I feel the contact of my feet on the floor because I'm walking on the earth and uh, there is some stones. So you start describing, going through, and because you're talking to another person, your your mindfulness is very high. What happened to me is like I spent so many hours on my meditation cushion, but uh, there's a lot of hours that are wasted because I'm not aware. I'm I'm just half asleep, or uh, so I making my best. But uh, this inside uh, inside dialogue is very good for for the for the mindfulness because it's it doesn't give you choice because you were talking to another person you have to to be present so you start talking about and because you're talking about what's alive in you what's what's real you're not going into proliferation so your mind your thinking mind is uh, uh, is avoided so that's that's also a nice practice and it's also about listening and uh, and being present it's also uh, uh, practice that I would, uh, I would encourage to. Yeah, I bet this is uh, very challenging because not only is is it one person doing this, but it's two people doing this together, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 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 so you, you yeah, you really have to be uh, focusing uh, being being with what is alive in you. Yeah. And so now, how long have you been uh, a total renunciate in this path of being a monk? How long has this been for you now? Okay, so uh, if I remember well, 
I started uh, living without money in 2016, I think. And I was using money only for taking plane and uh, for my visa, basically. So I lived like this. I was living without money in France, in England, in the Switzerland, a little bit. I went to Burma. Uh, I was a monk in Burma for a while. Then uh, I was only a monk for three months or something like this when I talk about Shiumin and Saidu uh, Tijania. And then I was the manager at the center, Brinka uh, Center in France for a year. Mm-hmm. And after that, uh, I, to be honest, I, 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 I was I was a bit of a of a, how do you say like a, a, somebody who is a bit of a, an exception. No, I, I don't know how to say like somebody who's not in the rail really. Like you know, Gwenka tradition is uh, it's for lay people who uh, it's for the mass, right? So mm-hmm. you have to be uh, fitting a certain image. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that you want to encourage people to do meditation and you want to be uh, so the manager of a center should be at least uh, well dressed and uh, and so that when people arrive they don't judge you mm-hmm. uh, at least not immediately and so that they don't proliferate on what is oh what is this manager oh look he's you know, how he's uh, dressed and whatever, like, and then they start proliferating. But they make the analogy with what is meditation, and oh, I'm not at the right place, and things. so you have to fit a certain code. And I was not really fitting. So one of the one of the teacher, I mean, I'm really thankful and grateful for uh, all of my teacher on the path. But one of them, they they kind of slowly they push they pushed me out. <laughs> so. <laughs> And and by by pushing me out, I I kind of uh, uh, because I, I had I, yeah, I had like for example I like to to walk barefoot, and that was not possible at the center. I like to I was in the winter I was wearing a t-shirt sometimes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know how I was doing, but you know the the management they wouldn't like it. You know, like you I, I had to be normal and I couldn't really be normal. So by pushing me out. Uh, they kind of forced me to make a cho- uh, choice, and that I'm very grateful because then, um, when I arrived in Malaysia, uh, basically I arrived in Thailand after after doing many many long courses. I I was always should I be a monk or whatever, because of course there's not only advantages, uh, but then I I was in search for a place where I could I could ordain and. And find a good place, basically. So I went to Thailand. I I went to the Ajahn Chah tradition. Uh, before I went to uh, the, the Paok tradition as well. Uh, and uh, really, uh, uh, every time there was something wrong, I couldn't really believe. What happened is Theravadan Buddhism, um, I'm going to be quite crude here, but... Uh, uh, because it's my own tradition, so I have to be careful. But <laughs> at the same time, I, I don't really care uh, about what people we think. Um, when you go in Burma or when you go in Thailand, the Buddhism is not really 
the origin of Buddhism uh, is not early Buddhism. It's a Buddhism that has evolved with the time. And so there's so many things that are added to the Buddha's teaching. And uh, now I'm in Sri Lanka and it's, it's, uh, it's really obvious there, there is a Vinaya. Mm-hmm. And there are so many things that are added to the Vinaya. For example, for a certain, you have to say the, in the in the text, in the canon, you find one sentence, and here they say three. And so everything is like this. They 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 uh, you can keep a medicine seven days, but here they will keep only five to be sure that they don't uh, ex- they doesn't expire or things like this. Like it's a bit like this for everything. So what I want to say, I don't want to be negative. Uh, I just want to say that. I couldn't find a place where uh, I was feeling very happy mm-hmm. and uh, I really wanted to ordain. So I went uh, to Thailand, to a gentle tradition. And then I, I have a friend uh, um, that I met in Xiumin, actually, my friend Philippe. Um, probably uh, he's listening to this podcast, <laughs> of course. And uh, he he said to me, he said like, uh, that uh, somehow you can be a, a monk uh, an, uh, as as it was at the at the Buddha's time, but uh, surprisingly is not in the countries that we think about. Is not is not in Thailand. Is not in Burma. Is not in Sri Lanka. Because all those places have Buddhisms for so many years that they have been polluted by cu- uh, cultural pollution. Mm-hmm. So they they have been added a lot of things into Buddhism. And uh, and so he said uh, you, he was in contact with a with a monk in the, in Malaysia, in the, in the monastery where I ordained, which is called the Sasana Raka Buddhist Sanctuary, SBS. So you can go if you want to go on the website is Sasana Raka, S A S A S A N A R A K K H A dot org. And uh, so I went there basically, and um, I went there without without saying anything, uh, as I usually do because I I didn't have email. I think I didn't have a phone that was uh, fast enough to have a, a, an email address. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I went there, and uh, and about I just I just explained to him. I said I was I have a friend. He told me that. Uh, uh, here is the only place where you can, or well, I mean, it's one of the places where you can live as a as an early Buddhist monk. And uh, I didn't find a place that is uh, convenient for me yet, but still, I have a bit of interest towards. Uh, I have interest uh, towards uh, the monk life, and I would like to to see how it is here. So he he accepted me, and uh, and then I spent uh, I spent uh, one year before ordained. I spent one year wondering, still wondering if I should be a monk or not. And what happened is, like, uh, and this is something I, I would like to advise, uh, maybe is like, uh, some, some, sometimes you just don't know uh, what you're doing. But uh, if you're in doubt, basically don't act and let the, the time choose for you. And uh, sometimes you just have to see what is in front of you and uh, for me what happened there is like every day i was i was happy to be here 
So I said, okay, I don't have to make a decision. I don't have to say I want to be a monk or I want to stay a lay person. I just live day by day and say, okay, this day is okay. I want to be, I want to be here. If I would to be, if I would, if I would to, uh, if I would die tonight, would I still want to be here today? And uh, if I if I do like this every day, day by day, and I enjoy being there, so after some time I realize that okay, I'm comfortable in this monastery. Uh, I studied the Vinaya, I studied the, the the scriptures, and so why not being a monk? Because then after I, I got all the teaching of the of the monks, why not live the experience fully? Because you can study the Vinaya. And, as a layperson, it's very different from living it as a monk because you have many rules about robes and bowls and you know all this that are concerning the monk. So, so let's let's do it. And uh, and until when I did it, I also I met a monk in, when I was in France who was a temporary temporary monk for thirteen years already. That was was quite uh, inspiring because he still considered himself a temporary monk mm. and uh, and when i released this this fact that i don't have to be a monk for the rest of my life i i can just be a temporary monk and uh, it doesn't mean that i have deadline and i say okay after one year i'm just going to be a monk for one year or something but it's it's just like it makes makes the steps much smaller i say okay i'm i'm just going to be a temporary monk and I will see. I keep it open. If it's good, if it makes me happy, then I continue. If I learn, if I see, if I have, if I go deeper and deeper in my in my in my life, and if, if I makes if I have some insight, and if this basically if this lifestyle is making me happy, then okay. And still now I'm I'm doing like this, questioning often and say, okay, is this lifestyle? making me happy or is it something that is imprisoning me or like you know so and uh, I'm nowadays very happy because I because I have a lot of time and uh, because I have a lot of time I have a lot of time to purify my mind to have a, a good shila good conduct that prevents me from having remorse and because I don't have remorse then I can have joy and when I have joy, I have, I settle my mind. My body becomes subtle, easy to meditate, basically. Uh, so it is, it is quite important to have a, an environment which is not uh, pushing you too hard into, in terms of uh, conduct. I, I mean, it's good to have good friendship, good, uh, yeah, good environment that is, that is conducive to. Uh, to your progression on on the on the spiritual path. And are you at a different monastery now than than the one you're talking about? Uh, yes, uh, yes. I'm. Uh, I won't. I won't quote this name. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can. I can, but it, 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 it's just very different. Uh, I'm. I'm here not because of the teaching. Basically, I'm here because we had to leave uh, Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Malaysia, because of COVID, basically, yeah, um, we 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 had we could stay. Uh, our, our visa was first three months, and then we could stay over because basically we couldn't go anywhere. But then at some point, the government said, "Okay, now you all the foreigners out, 
and so we had to leave and we had to leave uh, like in a kind of uh, emergency so uh, the most easy uh, place to go uh, because we had connections and things was Sri Lanka and also because there's uh, there's very good monasteries uh, here mm-hmm. um, and I'm I mean the place I, I am here now is is just amazing like the nature is is wonderful like there's almost I see my friends the monkeys uh, coming to see me every day there is a lot of nature is just amazing here like uh, uh, oh, I, it's a very good question because now I make the connection with what I was saying at the beginning when I, when I wanted to be in contact with nature and I, I did a degree for that, a postmaster degree studying. I want to study forest mm. nature, and I want to protect the forest and things. But I was never really in contact with nature. And being a monk, I have all the time to look at those, uh, look at nature around me. And this is making me like very, like it's bringing me a lot of joy every day. And so, like, uh, and so how, how does a monk then… Yes, yeah, how, how does a monk then move around? So you had to leave one country, you have to get visas, you have to stay at the monastery. Uh, economically, how does a monk uh, survive through all this? Okay, so that's a good question. Uh, in the Theravada tradition, we have a rule that we shouldn't accept money. So uh, basically, in in the tradition I am, uh, we never... We never touch money. So there is always either a layperson. Um, so we have what is called a kapia, that is a person, a layperson that is going to arrange our, our trip, for example, going to pay for the plane ticket or the train ticket or the whatever. Uh, so that was quite easy, basically, from Malaysia to uh uh, to Sri Lanka, everything was uh, paid and organized from the office of my monastery in Malaysia. Um, having said that, I'm I'm also very interested because I could I I was living before uh, a very non-organized not organized life, and uh, I I really appreciate the stability of being in one monastery for a long time because COVID doesn't really allow. Uh, the, the the moving, mm-hmm. but I'm really also interested in doing this uh, this trip that I was doing when I was a layperson. I'm very interested in doing as a monk because that's that's how people would do at the time of the Buddha. They would sometimes travel from one place to another place walking, mm-hmm. and they would they would beg their food, and they would uh, they would sleep somewhere. I mean that's something I want to. Uh, because I was doing it already when I was a layperson, I want to, yeah, I want, uh, I want to experience it as a monk. So these these monasteries then are not requiring you to pay for staying there. They're taking donations based uh, from from other people to cover their expenses. Oh yeah, like in the in the Buddhist countries, mm-hmm. um, so Sri Lanka, Thailand, and uh, Sri Lanka, Thailand, and Myanmar and uh, uh, how do you say yeah, Myanmar. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, those are really Buddhist countries. So the 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 light the laity basically is uh, very devoted, and they come every day and they give uh, they give things to the monastery. So they're really supportive to the monks. So basically, the the monks say, 
in in let's say uh, in most like in in the serious places where people practice meditation, uh, usually never have to deal with because uh, everything is uh, sponsored by by the lady. Okay. It is it is amazing. Still working. Uh, uh, this system is still working. Basically, the only the only sometimes uh, thing about it is this this that can appear as a freedom because you have um, uh, you're sponsored by some people that they they pay for you and thing, but they also bring the the, the expectations. So sometimes you you have to perform some. Uh, some things to to fulfill to fulfill their requirements, so they mm. can be like rituals and stuff like this. So if you're not being careful, uh, because this doesn't have to, this, you can you can just say no. This is not like what the Buddha taught. You can just uh, educate uh, the people who are serve, uh, uh, supported by uh, reorienting, like orienting orienti- orientating them towards what is the past, basically. And and so, what is a typical day like for you? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> there is a bell at three thirty in the morning. Okay, where I am. Um, I wouldn't say I always get up at three thirty, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, sometimes it happens. And um, uh, basically, I start my day uh, before going. Uh, to the to the to my lunch, I start to do three hours of meditation in the morning, mm-hmm. and uh, I basically well, if you want to really have like the the detail, uh, first I I get up, I brush my teeth, and I do the work. <laughs> <laughs> you get up, you brush your teeth, and you do the work. Okay. So this is the beginning of my day, and um, um, well. No, I do, I do, I do as well. Recall my dream because I also try to practice lucid dreaming. So I recall my dreams on a, a dream journal mm-hmm. that I have uh, under my pillow. I, I I get up, I brush my teeth, I do the work. If it's early, I will I will read some some suttas. Sometimes uh, I'm learning Pali, which is a language of the Buddha. So. Uh, sometime I will in the morning is quite random because I want to keep it open if I need some sleep I will sleep a bit more if I if I get up early then I will do uh, things that I don't have time to do uh, the rest of the day so it can be like keying new words in my in my program where I study languages so it's, it's, it's a bit random so uh, the morning then when I I did my three hours meditation. I go for lunch. So I take my bowl and I walk down. I have like a 20 minute walk or something like that. And then I, uh, I simplify a bit because it's sometimes I go first down and I have another hour of meditation there with the group. Yeah, let's say like this. It's, it's kind of nice actually. I quite enjoy this. So it's quite important to mention. Uh, so let's say. I do two hours of meditation and then I go down and I do another hour of meditation with a group. And then I, I go for lunch. So there is a bell. Uh, we go with a ball and we go through a uh, place 
a place where the food has been put there and I take the food I want, my bowl. Then I go up to the, which is called the Dana Sala. It's like the place where, where we eat, where all the monks eat. So there is a big room where there is like kind of a, maybe a 70, 50 and 70 people or something like that. Have my lunch. And um, basically I do, I have to do a bit of chores that is not very intense. Basically it takes between 15 to half an hour or sometimes one hour, but it's very rare, one hour. So let's say half an hour of chores. And then, then basically my day is, uh, my duty is, uh, um, I go up, go back to my, uh, to my uh, kuti, and then I, uh, walking meditation. Uh, well, I truly, not yet. I, I usually, I have a, well, I have a phone on which I have a program that is called uh, Enki. And I love it because it's, uh, I, I learn, I'm learning three languages. I, I quite, I, I'm quite a big fan of languages. So I, I have, I always wanted to, to, to learn languages. So I, 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 I speak Chinese, so I I do a half an hour of Chinese. I do basically between half an hour and 40 minutes of Pali, which is a, the, the language of the Sutta, of the Buddha, the time of the Buddha. I do half an hour of Singhala, because I, I like to mix with the local people and to be able with, to communicate with them, because a lot of them don't speak English, so it's good to... They just like the the half an hour of effort I'm doing to do singhala. They give me so much in return by being uh, happy and smiling at me when I try to learn some few words. So this is also contributing to my uh, my being able to be joyful and to have a good meditation here. So uh, half an hour of each and uh, half an hour of chanting. I, I'm I'm a bit summarizing because. Mm-hmm. So the details, and so yeah. On. And I have a, I have also like my. We have a chanting book that we were having when I was in SBS that we we compile that all the monks compile together, uh, all the important teaching of the Buddha. We have them in a chanting book, and then I learn them by heart and I recite them um, a little bit every day. And so after that, uh, I like to do a, lo- a lot of walking. So I still I still do a bit. Of walking meditation until something like three then I have a nap and uh, like sometimes 15 minutes and then I meditate until the uh, I meditate again three, three hours sometimes a bit more sometimes a bit less but uh, basically I do like something like six hours of meditation every day and in the evening I it's a time where I relax a bit and I, I do I do I do watch uh, uh, some videos of uh, some teachings, so I I learn every day. So I I may watch a video of uh, Byron Katie, for example, or, or like my my teacher Pontagachita, which I did, didn't mention, that is also practicing a open open mindfulness uh, in SBS. That is uh, is very good. Is 
is a refined teaching of Sayadaw uh, Utejaniya. He's also uh, doing doing this, but is is more structured. Is very his his retreats are very structured. If you have the chance to to go to the retreat of uh, Bonte Agachita, mm-hmm. manager in SBS, uh, it, it is it is very very well uh, very well. He's a forty vasa, forty years monk, something like that. So he's uh, he knows his subject. He's mm. uh, he's very inspiring, uh, very inspiring. And so, so yeah. So in the end of the day, I I, I do I do this, and then I I prepare for for lucid dreaming. I try to do. I'm I'm not very successful at it, to be honest, but uh, mm. uh, I, I try to also night basically and to to also maintain i i basically through lucid dreaming i want to realize uh i already did realize a bit what is uh, the power of imagination basically when you're in a dream from lucid you realize that the mind is so skilled in in making things around you that are so that that seems so and so then when you come back to reality you say like you question. You start questioning. Is it that what I'm, what I'm living now? Is it really reality, or is it like just like my dream? You know. So it makes you step back a bit and uh, and and uh, be more, uh, yeah, questioning, questioning the reality basically, and and say, and and be conscious that uh, the mind is so capable of making stories that uh, you should shouldn't take it for granted. Very interesting. And and so do you go back to visit the West uh, in France at all, or, or have you gone back? Um, well, I was talking to my mom today, and uh, every time I call her, she's a bit like, oh, uh, I don't see my son so often. So I, I, I kind of like, of course, I practice NVC with her. and I, um, I've been two years uh, since I came back home. Um, to be honest, I um, let's say it, it is it, it, in the ideal. It is it would be nice to come back to the West and to see my family and and things. But when I think about it, uh, it's all it's all kind of a dream. It's like okay, I will go back and uh, it would be nice to see each other for the first day or for the first few days. But then what what I do? Like in France, okay, there's no, there's one monastery, forest monastery, which is very small. It's quite a nice place, but it's not really an ideal place to. Well, last time I went there was was not really ideal for me mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, um, well, environment basically. To can't describe too much, but uh, uh, basically the problem is. Is that is like I I I'm a monk now and I I have uh, a vinaya that the, the the system of rules of the of the Theravadan uh, Theravadin monk, which is quite heavy to to live with uh, the laity, and uh, I think this was I think this is in purpose that the the Buddha made it like this so that so that the monks basically don't. Uh, don't spend their time with uh, 
with lay people, uh, and uh, they, they live in the forest and they practice meditation. So, uh, yeah, I think I think uh, it is it is a bit difficult. Uh, I ideally I would like uh, it, it is not impossible. There is there is there are many monks who I mean who they can see that they live a normal life but uh, I mean for the moment my work I know I know that that is especially because of COVID uh, everything is a bit more complicated when it comes to traveling so for the moment I'm I'm all I'm quite grateful to COVID actually because I'm I have the tendency to a lot around but those two recent years I've, I've basically I stayed at two places only Mm-hmm. That really didn't happen like this for me uh, in the past, and I can see influence of this in my mind, the stability that is bringing me. So I, for the moment, I don't really want to to go back home. But of course, I'm, I love my parents, and they love me, and uh, I mean, in the convention, convention mm-hmm. uh, way of. Saying, uh, I mean, it's. Uh, I have a good relationship with my parents, and I, I want to honor, uh, and uh, yeah, I want to honor their their parenthood, if I can say that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to private them from their son. That's the thing. But at the same time, I want to. I want to be true to myself and uh, and not force myself because if I go there and if I. Well, what of what use I will be if I go there and I'm not happy there? Right. So I really want to make sure that if I go there, I'll be happy there, which is not really something I can imagine for the moment. Well, well, it's uh, is there anything that you miss uh, from by living the monk's life, or are you? <laughs> <laughs> can you stop having good questions? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I live, I mean, I'm not uh, a monk like you, but uh, I do live my own uh, style of, of renunciation. And so I know the questions to get uh, to, yeah. to, to provoke yeah, you. you. Know very well. <laughs> yeah, very good. It's very good. I mean, uh, um, yeah, I miss some things. Um, but I also know that uh, uh, when I when I see those with wisdom, uh, I see that mainly what I miss is sensual pleasures, mm-hmm. and and I know that this is unsatisfactory because uh, it, it can never satisfy. Right. The word of the word of sense, sense pleasures never satisfy. That that the truth it may it may sound a bit rough, and and of course many people are not. Are not uh, ready. Uh, even myself, uh, I'm. I'm sometimes. I, it's, it's very hard for me. But the thing is, uh, you have as a monk, you renounce to uh, lower pleasures for higher pleasures. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And 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 if you want, uh, there's a gap there where you, when you're not yet at the higher pleasures, but you renounce to the lower pleasures, that is very difficult because then you, uh, you don't basically you don't have pleasures. <laughs> what. Uh, but when when you when you renounce little by you don't have to do this like uh, all of a sudden or whatever. It's nothing that you 
you need to force basically all 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 come into places when when you just follow your 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 heart and you do i i always did whatever i want to do um i mean i tried my best in that and uh everything comes naturally like for example celibacy as i was saying before like my last relationship i had was perfect but still i realized that okay it's, it's not making me uh, long lasting uh it's not giving me long lasting happiness so uh i came i became wary of it basically i came, i became tired of it and i said so i didn't have to force i didn't have to say okay no i don't want I don't want to have sex with women it's, it's just like it came naturally right so so and and this um is the same for ice cream for example now i'm i'm trying to this my bit my challenge because as a monk, the only pleasures you have is food, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you have also, the, of course, the, the higher pleasures of uh, of meditation. And uh, the pleasure of being in nature is also a big one for me. Uh, but uh, the pleasure of food is, is one of the sensual pleasures uh, together. Uh, the strongest, basically, strongest sensual pleasures is food and sex. And as a monk, of course, you don't have sex, but you have food. And uh, sometimes there is ice cream, and uh, I'm little by little. Okay, I take it, I take, I take. But sometimes I realize that this ice cream is not good for me because first is is sense of pleasures, and is bad on my on my system. And and then by seeing it again and again and again, then I come out of it because I realize that okay, this is not giving me long lasting happiness. And is it good for my practice? Is it like uh, uh, so th that the question? If it's not doing any harm, then you have no reason of abandon abandoning it. But if you realize that uh, this is not uh, conducive to the practice, if it's conducive to craving and to uh, yeah to not to generating new uh, unpleasant sensations, then you should renounce it. Yeah, so it's like this idea of emptiness that it's the value that you give to it, the relationship you have to it, that is the determinant of how I should let it go or not let it go. Well, yeah, basically you can do the work with the ice cream as well. Like you say, mm -hmm. okay, I can't, I can't live without ice cream or I can't live without sense pleasures. Is that true? You mm -hmm. question it. You say, well, why? Like, is it true that I can't live without? without ice cream actually i can uh, it's just a question of uh, doing it yeah it's just not a question of thinking about it it's just doing it and and then when you question it like okay i can't live without ice cream is that true is that really true i doubt it and then what what happening when i when i have this ice cream in front of me what, what is happening is like my mind thinking i can't live without this ice cream and so I end up uh, having it. But if I, if who am I without the salt? I can't eat ice cream. I'm just there. And the ice cream is there, and then I have a free choice. So I don't take it. I don't have to take it. Right. And so the work works everywhere. I mean, like every time that you have a, a thought that is, uh, I mean, the ice cream is is maybe not talking to everyone because it's not <laughs> something that might appear very harmful, but it can be with some, some, any kind of craving that can be harmful. 
Of, of course, and it's 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 the relationship you have with the things in your environment, right? It's it's your your relationship. You know, this idea of emptiness. It's what you are projecting onto it, or what you're reacting from it. Is is the thought that you're generating uh, in reaction with, in reaction to your environment? It's like all those those perceptions that you're having, all those senses that are giving you information. All those thoughts that you're generating uh, from from them, yeah, and and this is this is what is uh, what is driving us without us being conscious of it, right? And once you you being present and step back and inquire and, and question your thought, then you get free of it, mm. and then you get really what is freedom? Like is you don't need to go anywhere. Uh, you don't need uh, so so many insight in that, but it's because when you say you need to go somewhere, is you have the thought that somewhere is better than where you are, and when you question that, is it true? It's basically you're moving from a place where you're suffering to another place where the suffering is uh, is different, but you're just yeah, you just uh, you're not you're not facing the suffering. You're just you're just uh, moving, moving the problems. Suffering will come back. At first, it may appear that okay, you're happy, but basically, yeah, the, you have to work uh, at the core. The, and that's not. Yeah, I like something else that you said is is that it wasn't. You know, you you do what comes natural to you. And and I encounter this a lot when I counsel people or when I'm giving workshops, is people have a lot of difficulty making decisions. And oh, yes. and I always tell them it's because you're not connected to yourself. The more connected you are to yourself, things will just happen. Once you get into that rhythm of this true connection to how you feel and to why you feel this way, then this idea of making a decision goes away. And it's really just what unfolds because you are intuitive or you're connected to yourself that allows you to get into this purpose of your life. Um, yes, I think uh, yes, there's several things that is uh, um, sometimes people they they don't act because they they have too high expectations. They want something too big. But the 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 idea is if you have it's good to have a goal, but uh, I, I like very much what Eckhart Tolle say says about it. It's like it's good to have a goal, and you need to have a goal. It's 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 nice to have a goal, but the purpose of your life is is uh, to be present. Basically, when when you reach when you want to reach a destination, I want to. To go from point A to point B, the goal is is maybe may seem to be to reach point B, but actually the real goal, the most important goal, is to be present while you're going each steps from point A to point B. And when when you when you're being present, you find when you're fine with what is happening, it gives a lot less pressure to to the decision, and then you you don't have Basically, any decision is is fine because if you're in the present moment, you're not projecting, you're not you're not 
uh, think too much about the future. And so you're fine with the present moment. So any kind of decision is kind of uh, is kind of nice is kind of fine. So yeah. Uh, well, I, I would look at it. I mean, I look at it in my own life in, in a in a way that's similar to this, but uh, maybe a little different perspective. Is instead of having a goal, I, I create this intention, and I think this intention is really the foundation for everyone's life. And and what is the purpose of everyone's life is to find their self expression, right? And what what I'm talking about as self expression is is what is the most complete way to express what's happening within you externally. And so for some people, this is being a monk and and sharing their wisdom through this way. And in my life, I've always said, okay, my purpose is to find the best and most complete way to express myself. And whatever gets in this way is the resistance to the self and to remove this and to see what comes out. I see. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, I I would just call it happiness instead of uh, of uh, when you say people want to express uh, their, their true self. Uh, I think I think what people all want is is happiness. But I think it's the same thing we are pointing at. Uh, we are pointing to is because when you express yourself uh, truly, you're being happy. Right. So you're being truly happy. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at just a basic uh, example, if you're in a disagreement with someone and they're not listening to you, this is really frustrating because you don't feel heard. You don't feel that you're able to express yourself in a way that gets through to this this situation or this person. And so, but when you feel heard or when you feel that when you're expressing yourself that it is complete, that it is understood, then you feel this, I don't know, happiness is fleeting, maybe this contentment, this this mm. feeling that that you've, you are present, that you're being heard. But I, I don't look at it as happy. I look at it as more content. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's, it's related. Yeah. Um, I quite like when you said uh, to set up the intention. I, I just wanted to relate to one book uh, when I, when I was uh, uh, still. No, I, I read a, a management. It's called uh, Getting Things Done, and it, it's it's quite nice because he he says when you have a, a goal, you need to have the goal, but as a, you define the goal as a as a as a line of uh, um, like a, that you can cross kind of thing, like a a place where you reach. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, what do you do? You do you you set up the the first, the very first action. You 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 define the very first action that is going to this goal. So it can be just uh, writing it on a paper, or it can be just like uh, giving a phone call or something that is going towards this. Is really the intention is uh, is set already, and once you start doing it, you just like kind of release the energy to. To, to go towards towards it. Yeah, because this, this idea of having a goal is, is an attachment to the result, at least at least if you define it in, in, in the Western terms. And so whenever you, at least for me, whenever I put this idea, okay, I have to do this, and it has to turn out this way, it never does, and then I suffer as a result. 
And so what I've experienced is then, okay, this is my intention. I want to create this this idea or this uh, this uh, result. And then I let right. it go and I just have this intention and I focus on the process and I get lost in the yeah. process. And the more I can get lost in this process, the more I enjoy it. And and I really it, it's interesting because I I don't know if you're aware, but the last several years I've been making flutes, these Native American flutes uh, out of wood. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I'm doing this, when I'm able to let go of how this is going to turn out or it's not working out right, I really just get lost in the process. It's really enjoyable and it's really a pleasure to express myself this way yeah. and just set this yeah. intention. But whenever I because start you, to, yeah, 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 because you're being you're being present as right. if you're if you're like uh, wanting the result, you're in the future and you're you're rejecting the present moment. You're not not in the present moment anymore. You're just thinking about, oh, is, I'm going to be happy when I'm going to finish, but it's not true. Right. Uh, when once you finish something, you want to do something else. <laughs> it's never ending. So it, it's just about. Um, yeah, it's just about, yeah, having, as you said, having an intention, having a goal, but then you let go of the result and then you focus on the present moment. That's, uh, that's the only thing that is, uh, that's the only thing we have really, because future we cannot predict, past is past already. The only thing we have is, uh, is a present moment. And so we should try to focus on it. And whenever I, I, I catch myself really focused on the results, what I realize, what I realize, is that it's just fear. It's fear that it's not going to work out. It's fear that mm-hmm. something is wrong or that I'm not good enough. But when I let go of this, let go of this fear, let go of these expectations, then I start to take the pleasure and see the uh, ability or to see the beauty in what I'm doing in the moment. Oh yes, yes. Letting go uh, is a big word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say understanding, uh, seeing it, understanding. The fear is very nice. Like the fear is, is something that is, uh, transforming. When you understand the fear, you understand yourself. Mm-hmm. So you, you, uh, you see that, uh, and then, yeah, of course, like, you can, again, you can do the work with it. See the thought that are behind the fear. And see, is that true? Because every time that there is negative emotion, is is a thought behind that is basically has a lot of uh, statistics. Uh, there's a lot of chance that is is not true because, well, is if you say, for example, something terrible is going to happen, or this I'm not going to get the result that I'm planning to, or. Uh, this not gonna, this, this thing that I'm planning to do is gonna be painful. And this, is it true? Mm. Can you absolutely know that it's gonna, going to be painful? So basically you don't know. Right. And when, when you have this thought, this thing, this thing is making you suffer, making you, okay, I, I believe this is gonna be terrible. How, how do you feel when you have this thought? And how do you feel when you let it go and when you just say, okay, who would I be? Without the thought, this is going to be terrible. That's liberating. Yeah. I realize that uh, I always say uh, I wanted to be. I always wanted to be as cool as Fonzie, you know, happy days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I start doing the work, uh, when I start doing the work, I realize that when I let go of this thing that 
all those thoughts that I'm having, um, I'm being like Fonzie and cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that you know, it reminds me of an experience I had. I, I was riding on my uh, Enfield in India, and uh, I had just stopped to ask someone a, a question about some directions or something like this. And they turned to me and they said, wow, you look really cool, you know, on my motorcycle with my long hair and my beard. And I said, finally, after 50 years, it only took me 50 years to be cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think this is one 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 thing is, is I enjoyed our talks when we were walking in France. And it's funny that you had that experience in that, that uh, Vipassana Center in France, because remember my experience. I had a similar experience. They pushed me out after after the two two meditation retreats there. Yeah, yeah it is. It is uh, well. Uh, uh, how to say? Uh, when you go in a in a discotheque uh, and they they don't let you in because you don't have the the right shoes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you say selective? Yeah? Selective. selective no? Yeah, I, uh, I, I think it's I think selective. Yeah, I, th I think uh, the the culture there is is maybe uh, not as open as, as most places. You know, just from my experience there. Well, we have to understand is, is the thing is like those places. Goenka Goenka tradition is maybe the the the, the world most famous tradition in terms of meditation, and so they encounter a lot of people coming to their places, and a lot of people they come with their with their background and and so they have to be they they have to deal with this reality that they are dealing with a lot of people so they have to they have to protect themselves basically and they develop all that is going with that the mass this factory mass mass production of yeah. happiness yeah yeah but I, I do remember, I don't know if you remember this, uh, one joke that you made at that center that I still think about and it still cracks me up every time. Do you, do, do you remember? <laughs> no. <laughs> Is when, when, you know, during the, the, the process of, of the new group coming, you have to assign the places for them to sit in the med meditation hall. And so yes. I was walking over to the meditation hall and, you know, everyone sits outside, uh, stands outside until they call you, you call their name and then you show them where their, their meditation place is. And so when mm -hmm. I walked up, you know, being a server, you know, I said, I walked up to you and you had your little clipboard and your little list of all the names in the different places. And you looked at me and you said, are you on the guest list? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was funny. I guess at the moment it was very funny. But uh, yeah, I always enjoyed our talks and enjoyed running into you. And, and I think we can probably talk for maybe a couple hours more if we wanted to, probably. Uh, so what we'll have to do is I'll have to have you on, on the podcast again, and we'll pick a different topic and explore it, because I, I think people will find it very interesting. And mm -hmm. uh, And yeah, I always enjoy talking with you. And so yeah. I, 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 I appreciate you taking the time, uh, your allotted time to have a phone call and to, to talk. My pleasure, Majid. My pleasure is, is, is I, I share with a lot of passion all those tools that are like uh, useful to me and uh, 
I mean, if if even one person can benefit from it, is job is done. Yeah. Oh, maybe the next time we'll be able to sit out in nature and do it or something like this in person. It'd be great. Oh, yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it was nice walking in France in nature. That was really nice. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was good that you remind me that because it was the kind of like I can see the, exactly this moment coming and uh, and this this the landscape and there is still there in my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's great. All right. Well, thank you, and and uh, we'll keep in touch and uh, definitely do this again. Oh, grateful to you, Margit. Don't hesitate if you if you uh, if you want. I'm I'm available. You have my dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'll talk to you again then. Thank you. I'd like to tell you about Sing Flutes. These are flutes that are made by me. They're handcrafted Native American-style flutes designed for sound healing. The flutes are tuned to the frequency of 432 hertz, the harmonic intonation of nature. The fundamental note of each flute is in a key to vibrate a particular chakra. Whether you are playing for others or yourself, listening to 432 Hz music resonates inside the body. In fact, they did a medical study where they hooked people up to a brain and heart monitor and played different instruments to them. The Native American-style flute had the most impact in relaxing them. If you're a yoga teacher, it's a great instrument to incorporate into your classes. What I do is I have an app on my iPad that has the sounds of nature, and I'll put on the sounds of rain and play over this to the students at the end of the class. It's a very intuitive instrument to play. There's no musical knowledge necessary to get started. Each flute is unique since they're handmade. I put different artwork on them. I put mantras on them related to the chakras that they're tuned to. So go check them out at singflutes.com, S-I-N-G-H-F-L-U-T-E-S.com. Use the discount code The Story of Me Podcast and get 10% off. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the program. And again, thank you to Pomoda for joining us. And we'll have him on the show again. So please continue to support the podcast with a donation. Go to thestoryofmepodcast.com. And on the contact page, you can make a donation. Also, submit your questions. I'd love to hear from you, whether you have questions or just a comment about one of the episodes. Until the next time, from the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding, allow love to be the current that carries your words and actions. Why?